So open up in your Bibles to Psalm 22. We're going to be in Psalm 22 again this morning. Psalm 22, as you uh, could imagine, as you listen to Ben read, is a story of a sufferer who cries out to God and he, he's afflicted in, with afflictions in many different ways and he wrestles with things within himself as well. His heart is like wax, his spirit is poured out. It tells the story of how he is defeated all the way even to death in verse 15. You lay me in the dust of death and he's just this side of the grave. But then there's this astonishing moment that uh, emerges in verse 22. kind of comes out of nowhere. We're going to reflect on this a little bit this morning. In verse 22, out of nowhere it says, Now I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Why is there this turn? There's this turn in the text in verse 22. Why? Well, the psalmist's message comes to us at the end. Why are you now praising the Lord that you were just sort of critiquing for leaving you all alone. And he says in verse 30, Posterity shall serve the Lord. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And what is the message? That he has done it. This is the... God did something. We're going to reflect this morning and ask the question, What did God do? What has God done? The Lord has done this. What has God done? Now, this is an important question because Jesus takes Psalm 22 and says, this is about me most truly. Jesus believed the message of Psalm 22. He quotes verse 1 while he's on the cross. He's saying, I believe that what Psalm 22 says is going to come true for me. I believe that God has done it and he's going to do it for me. So we need to reflect on what God has done. Today we celebrate what God has done for Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. And what has God done? Well, for Jesus, in Jesus' mind, and so for us, the answer to what God has done is told in part in Psalm 22. What has God done? Now, I think it's important in the interest of full disclosure, in the interest of total honesty here, to begin with what God has not done. What God has not done for the psalmist, did not do for Jesus, does not do for us. God does not answer our prayer when we want Him to have it answered by. He does not come quickly. The psalmist prays, O Lord, come quickly to my aid. He does not come quickly. He does not prevent us from being mocked. He doesn't prevent us from looking silly for believing in this God. God did not prevent us from feeling far from Him. He did not keep us from circumstances that felt hopeless and helpless. God did not protect us from the bulls, the lions, the dogs, the circumstances, the people around us that are too many and too much for us. 
God did not keep us from the terror the psalmist describes where his heart is melted like wax, his bones are out of joint. God lets us be vulnerable and limited and weak. He lets us be defeated. He lets us die. Now you might say, well, this is the worst Easter sermon so far, right? Because if this is what God doesn't do, what does it matter what He did? What He doesn't do is so bad. What He doesn't do is so terrible. Why does it even matter what He did? What could He possibly do that could compare with this weighty, enduring series of afflictions that is this life? What could He possibly do? The Bible begins in Genesis 1 with a world in chaos and darkness, fear and uncertainty. It says that the world was formless and void. It was full of chaos. It was dark. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. But then into that world, into that condition, God says, let there be light. And the light of God begins the life of the world. But then almost immediately, by Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And sinners fill the world. And so we return to that original condition. Chaos, darkness, death, fear, rule again. And this is the world we live in, the world of the first part of Psalm 22. The bulls of Bashan and and roaring lions and dogs encircling us and our hearts not able to handle it. This is the world we live in. It's like when you go on vacation and you stay in a family member's home or a hotel or an Airbnb, right? This is the world we live in. And and you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to go to the bathroom. And you try to make your way there, but every noise is a little, what's that? And every shadow is a little, did that just move? And you're stubbing your toe on everything all the time. This is the world we live in. But you're compelled by this need. You've got this longing and this aching. And it's scary and painful. And this is the world that we live in. So what could God possibly do to compensate for this? There's only one thing He could do. One thing that those who are angry with Him demand that He does. One thing that those of us who fear Him hope and pray that He will do. And that is to fix it. Fix it. Do creation again. Just from the top. Do it again. Do it anew. So what did God do? According to the psalmist. Look with me at verses 23 and 24. We're going to start where the psalmist starts with the kind of thing God does. The kind of thing that God did here. Verse 23, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. What did God do? Well, the first thing that this tells us about what God did was that He did something so awesome Stand in awe, so glorious, give him praise, right? He did something so awesome and so glorious that this badly broken, beaten person bursts into song 
and calls others to praise God. He did something so awesome and glorious that all of verses 1 to 21 is like forgotten. And now he's singing. You know, the Apostle Paul, who knew more than his share of afflictions, who'd been beaten, who'd been stoned, who'd been whipped, who'd been in prison, who'd been in deprivation, he says, actually, the experience of the psalmist, that this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to this glory. And the psalmist would agree. He says, whatever that was is not going to keep me from singing and telling you to sing. So glorious and so awesome is the thing that God did. And it turns out that what God did was exactly what we were asking him to do, even though we couldn't see it. He says he's not. He has not ignored you. He was not gone away busy somewhere else. He was always seeing and always hearing and always working. He was always putting together the deliverance that later we would see. And what that deliverance was, was an astonishing surprise victory. God works this glorious surprise victory in answer to our prayers. You know, so all of the bulls, whatever that is for you, right? Well, all of the lions, all of the dogs encircling you, all of these powers, all of these these people in our lives, these voices in our heads, all of these things, it says that God tricked them. They thought they'd won, but they were defeated. They thought you were dead, but here you are. I'm so thankful for the National Collegiate Athletic Association for hosting their annual basketball tournaments in the month of March as preparation for Holy Week and for our Easter celebration. And in the tournament of the the basketball players uh, in the month of March, they they actually call it, do you know what they call the the basketball tournament in March? What do they call it? March Madness. Why is it madness? Because of the number of astonishing, glorious, surprise victories in answer to the prayers of those colleges uh, that occur. Right? Because it is a common thing. To have a team that has, doesn't even deserve to be on the same court with this other team. They're so poorly ranked. Their record is so bad. And there they are. They're the underdogs. They're way behind. And then it comes down to the last second and they're one point away. And they make a shot. Madness! This is what God does for the psalmist. This is what God does for Jesus. This is what God does for us. Last second shot. <laughs> and completely changes the story and completely changes everything. Now, we've been talking so far about what kind of things God did. Uh, God has done it. What kind of things He's done. Glorious, in answer to our prayers, astonishing victory. But what actually was this deliverance? What did God, what exactly did He do? And this is really interesting because in Psalm 22, we don't know. The only thing He says is God has done it. There's a gap in the text. We go from verse 21, where he's saying, rescue me, to verse 22, where he's saying, praise the Lord. There's this leap. There's this gap. There's this 
this mystery. And I think that it is left a mystery because it's left for Jesus. The next time Psalm 22 appears in the Bible is on the mouth of Jesus Christ while he's hanging on the cross. And I think God left this gap and this mystery for Christ to reveal what God does. For Christ to reveal how we get from verse 21 to 22. How we go from distress to praise. And this is what we're here to celebrate this morning. What did God do? God did resurrection. That's what God did. God did resurrection. God raised Jesus physically, bodily, dead Jesus to new, astonishing, glorious life. God breathed into his nostrils again the breath of life and Jesus went from being a dead and decaying 3.5 cubic yards of earth material to what he is still this day. Resurrection. What is resurrection? Resurrection is being made alive after being dead. Being made alive by God after being dead. Does this happen? This is not a thing that happens, right? But we just ordered some, uh, some chicks. I'm not going to call them chickens. They're baby chicks. That's what we call them in our house. They're baby chicks. We just ordered some baby chicks. And they ship them in the mail. They ship living creatures in the mail now. So we get them in the mail. And you who've experienced this before, what happened when we opened that box? There were some baby chicks. And then what else was there? There were some not living baby chicks. It was very sad. There was two, two baby chicks laying in the bottom of the box. And you know what we did for the next couple hours? We just stared at them. All six of us, us five and our dog, we just all <laughs> stared at them. Probably with different, different motives, maybe. We stared at those baby chicks so hard, looking for any indication of resuscitation. What if they could come back to life, right? What if they did? That'd be awesome. But they didn't. Because that is what God and God alone can do. And that's what he did. You have done it. That's what he did in Jesus Christ. Now I want to point out a, a thing about resurrection. Because we like resurrection. But you know, the only people uh, who get resurrection, right? Resurrection only comes to what kind of pre people? Uh, dead people. Resurrection only comes to dead people. It only comes after all the things we're praying about don't happen. It only comes after our worst fears are realized. Only after it looks like our enemies have won. Only after we appear to be defeated and forsaken. Only after it looks like our story is over. Only then, after all is said and done, does God do what He alone can do. God has done this thing. He's the only one that can do it. I love being a dad of young kids, especially when my kids were even younger, because to them, there, was these, there were these things that it was like, only I could do these things, right? And, and Janisha would play along with me in this, right? Uh, so if there's a spider in a high corner of some room in our house, Dad, you can do it, Dad, right? He, only he can do this. 
If there's a jar with a lid that's stuck on, right? Dad! Right? If there's a suspicious-looking leftovers in the fridge that nobody wants to eat, Dad! Right? There's some things that only Dad can do. But of course, we know that all the cool things that we can do, kind of like other people can do too. But there's one thing that none of us can do, one thing that only God can do. One thing that we need God to do into this dark, chaotic, fearful, uncertain, death-filled world. Only one thing that we absolutely need. And what we need is for God to give new life, for God to do this new creation work. And that is what God did that first Easter morning. He did new creation. So now let's think for a minute about what does the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead mean for us? And it means two things. The first thing is it means that we are assured of future resurrection. And the second thing it means is that we have proof for living the life of faith that we need today. We have the proof that we need for living the life of faith today. So the first of these two things that Jesus Christ's resurrection means for us is that we have an assurance of future resurrection. Because new creation has begun. Our new creation, I want you to imagine this for a second. We're going we're gonna to play kind of comic book land, right? We're going to kick out into the perspective of God. New creation for God is not a day that he looks forward to. It's a day that he looks upon. He doesn't look forward to that day. He looks upon that day because Christ is raised and we are raised in him. It's like the perspective of a kid on, approaching Christmas Day and a parent. You're looking at this same present, right? And for the kid's perspective, it's a mystery, and someday it's going to be unveiled. But for the parent's perspective, it's already theirs. I already bought it. It's there. It's wrapped. It's done. It's, right, it's a very different sense of time, a very different perspective on the situation. The kid's looking forward to that day when it becomes mine in the future, and the parents looking at the day past when they bought it and saying it's done. This is what we have. One day for us, one day in the future, everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ and has died will be breathed on by the breath of life again. And we will live then glorious together forever with God. And that day in our future... For God has already happened because Christ is risen. There's no question. So that's good for then, but what about now? What about today? Today, faith is a struggle today. As we saw in the story of Jesus Christ, he was mocked while he hung there on the cross. The psalmist was mocked. We are mocked and derided for our faith in God, for our claims to belong to your invisible magic spirit in the sky, right? We are mocked for these things. So what does the claim, he has done it, and what does God's resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead mean for the conversation of faith according to Psalm 22? So look with me now at Psalm 22, verse 1. This is what Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead what God does for Christ there proves for us today as well. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? That's how it seems, right? 
But Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that we weren't forsaken. It proves that God was not far. God was near. He was listening. He was working. And it means that God is. He is doing this today. However you feel, this is what's true. This is how Christ felt. But the resurrection proves this is what's true. The resurrection proves, look at verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. What the resurrection proves is that our prayers were heard. God always had an answer coming. I know it feels like they aren't heard and the answer's not coming, but they were heard and they are coming. And so he, he says here, I could find no rest. We could have always rested. And we can. You can pray and rest. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to verses 3 to 5. The psalmist says, Yet you, God, are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves this. It proves that God is holy, that he is, he is worthy of our praise and deserving of our trust. And we now know that however things feel and look, because they feel and look bad sometimes, however they feel and look, God can absolutely be counted on. He can absolutely be counted on. And then verses 6 to 8, as we conclude, the psalmist says, but, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him if the Lord delights in him. Well, Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that if you stick with God, you have no need ever to feel silly about your faith. God will come through. And we now know that however things look or feel, because sometimes they feel poorly and look bad, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You remember this verse that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8? Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Anybody here worried about things present or things to come? Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can possibly separate us can possibly separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we need to hear today for our struggle of faith. You know, I love being right. I love being right. But I love being wrong sometimes even more. You know, there's this voice in me, probably a voice in you, that wonders about things, that worries about things. You know, I wonder, is, is that store that we're hoping to go to, gonna, you know, is that our favorite restaurant, our favorite ice cream place? I'm sure they're closed today. I'm sure that park we're going to go into, I bet it's closed. 
I bet this isn't going to work out. This thing I want to show you, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I love when that voice is wrong. The resurrection means that all of the bad words and all of the bad voices about our God and our relationship with Him and about our trust in Him, they're all wrong. The soldiers, the chief priests, the people, the other folks hanging on the cross next to Jesus all derided Him and mocked Him. They're all wrong. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves this. I'm going to invite the music team to come on up now. I didn't tell them about this. Come on, come on up. We're going to go right into singing. Hey, one last time this morning. I want to put all this together. What has God done? Psalm 22 concludes and says, He has done it. What has God done? Here's what I want you to understand. That in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has done that new creation that we need. That new creation that alone can heal this broken world and our broken hearts. Into the formlessness and void, into the darkness, death, chaos, fear, uncertainty of this world, God said, let there be light again. And you know what happened when he said, let there be light again? Jesus Christ emerged from the tomb and there was light. God has done it. The resurrection turns the lights on. Now, we may walk in the light of life. In a world of darkness, fear, uncertainty, anger, we may live with the lights on. We don't got to stub our toes or worry about the shadows or wonder what the noise was. We can know the truth. We can rest through the storms. We can walk through the valleys and we can trust. We can trust our God for He has done it. And we know that because Christ is risen. So just as the psalmist says to the congregation, you who fear the Lord, stand with me. And let's give our Lord praise.